Support comes from the Discovery Inn on Washington's San Juan Island, an island getaway that's a ferry ride away, now taking reservations for summer and fall. More information and booking available at discoveryinn.com. Welcome to Friday. Welcome to KUOW's Week in Review. Good to have you. I'm Bill Radke. Two streetcar lines that don't work together, but should they? We'll discuss, and hopefully you can hear us over all the mosquitoes. We'll explain. <laughs> I have uh, my panel of super journalists, Puget Sound Business Journal tech reporter, Alex Halverson. Welcome back, Alex. Thanks for having me, Bill. Political analyst, contributing columnist. Welcome back, Joni Bolter. Hey there. KUOW politics reporter, David Hyde. Thanks for coming back, David. Hey, thanks, Bill. And you can stream this show on the YouTube, the Facebook. Just search for KUOW Public Radio. Okay, topic number one this week. Hundreds of downtown Amazon workers walked out of their Seattle offices to protest company policies. Power to the people. Power to the people. Power to the land. Power to the land. Power to the workers. The future's in our hands. Alex, you were there at this demonstration. What were they demonstrating about? I was, yeah. Um, it, broadly, it was just frustration with leadership. Um, Leading up to it, people were frustrated with the RTO policy, climate inaction. And RTO meaning return to return office. Return to office. There are three days per week policy. and then Minimum, right? Or uh, is it three days a week? That's what they're telling us, okay. yes. And then the um, pretty massive layoffs they had relative to the company early mm-hmm. earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Uh so is are those things connect were they making connections between all those complaints or not? They were basically their connection is these are concerns Amazon employees are bringing up more and more frequently with leadership and they just feel like leadership is not mis- not listening was um kind of the connective tissue between a lot of them. It kind of seemed like they were bundling a couple of issues to get to the 3 or 400 people who were going to be there. And, you know, you could just, you know, are you frustrated? Sure. But let's add return to office. Let's add it um, to other frustrations, the many frustrations that you're describing. Well, yeah, you have two groups within Amazon who sort of helped organize this. The the bigger, more organized climate action group, which staged the walkout in 2019. And then the growing group of remote advocacy um, that popped up in the Slack channel back in February. And the climate change issue is that uh, Amazon has a big carbon footprint and they've not been reducing it as much as they promised? Not been reducing it. And they eliminated the shipment zero pledge, which was a pretty key part of the climate pledge that they made. Um, It's to, I think it was to make all shipments 50% carbon neutral by a certain date. Um, I think that was what it was, but basically they eliminated it without any internal communication. Employees were really upset because this was a big part of the climate pledge. A lot of them told me, hey, if they're eliminating this, we're kind of worried that as they try to keep up with productivity, as they try to keep up with profits, they're just going to sort of let the climate pledge slip away. And it seems like on that issue, Amazon's got to be more worried about what its customers think than what its employees think. Like, are they living up to this big climate pledge? We've got Climate Pledge Arena. But if that's all BS, then, you know, that that might be a concern for some customers. On the other hand, you know, most people, I think, are kind of like, is my package going to get delivered between mm-hmm. 7 and 10 p.m. or not is is the big issue there. I did want to ask you, though, about the return to work issue. Um, it seems like polls are suggesting that it's not just at Amazon. There's a lot of workers who 
wish they could still be working from home. And the, the Times had this great anecdote from an employee saying that she made the decision to be a parent because of that oh, yeah. remote work policy. And, you know, I've, I've heard other parents talk about the way in which the pandemic made it possible for them to have this kind of great work-life balance. And it was one of the things, you know, back then where people were saying, maybe this will be with us forever, some of the good things from the pandemic. Um, but it seems like now, you know, capitalism is marching forward <laughs> and we're not looking back. And, and there's just this gap between what some employees want and what Amazon is essentially going to do. Do you see them in, in, in any way kind of giving in on any of that stuff on return to work? It doesn't feel like they're going to, but, you know, a few years ago they made this big, now it's looking more like, like a PR campaign, but we're going to be Earth's best employer, right? We were so customer-focused for decades, right? At, maybe at the expense of our employees sometimes. We're really going to listen to our employees. We're going to make this the best place to work. Employees have been telling them for the past few months, hey, we really want to work from home or not be forced to work in person. Um, in October 2021, when Andy Jassy said, hey, we're going to lean in more into flexible and remote work conditions, um, a lot of people talked to their managers, talked to the directors, had verbal confirmations that said, hey, I can I can move away from an office, right? I can go move to Ohio or Minnesota. Maybe mm-hmm. Amazon has offices there now. I don't know. But um, they had all these verbal confirmations and the culture was kind of getting better. You know, maybe they could... Um, up their productivity. I don't know about that. But again, Amazon sort of made these verbal promises. And now employees feel like this decision, which was made at the very highest levels, not among VPs, it was among Andy's um, senior leadership team. They feel like those have backed away from this promise to be Earth's best employer. Also, you know, what what uh, I've read before, and I think I've mentioned it before, is that the average worker gained 72 minutes a day by not going into the office. And you can think of all the things that you do in those 72 minutes, most of them commuting. Uh, and also, the Wall Street Journal this week had a piece about, you know, in other industries and Amazon and, and many of them, all the reasons why people don't want to return to work. And they interviewed this woman on the East Coast somewhere, and she calculated that three days a week in the office for her meant an increased cost of $2,400 a month for daycare and and the cost of she had some expensive commute. My sense from talking to folks, uh, Amazon is not going to go back on this. They're not going to go, you know, five days a week would be a bridge too far, but three days a week is what it's going to be, and they're going to take – whatever the heat is. Well, why is Amazon saying it's so important to them that employees be in the office? Culture, collaboration. I mean, that's the only thing we can get from them. And I think that's adding to employee frustrations, right? Because you have so many people who are giving Amazon data that says, hey, look how much more productive we collectively are. Look at how much more of a climate risk this is to have all these people commuting. If we're able to stay home, maybe it's better productivity-wise, and Amazon's saying, no, but we like the collaboration, we like the culture building, it's easier for young people. There are a lot of corporate buzzwords that go along with it. How much of this is the job market for the tech industry changing? It was super tight a few years ago. I remember talking to UW grads who were saying, you know, I've got my pick of different companies, I can I can have my values be an important part of that decision. Google was offering free massages and and yoga and that sort of thing. And and those perks are kind of starting to go away. We've seen layoffs. So how much of this is just a cyclical turn in the job market? And now Amazon is is more in the driver's seat and they have to. And, yep, employees are frustrated because they got used to being listened to. And now they don't have to be listened to as much. I mean, is that is that part of what you think might be going on here? 
I think it's a lot of it, too. And you're seeing these companies sort of capitalize on whatever leverage is coming back in their direction. Amazon's decision to, for, um, to return employees to back to the office, I think, is emboldened. Companies like Meta announced yesterday that they're going to be doing it as well. DocuSign in Seattle is doing it as well. Other tech companies are. But I think that leverage could be a little bit skewed because these are really high-skilled jobs. Um, and at the end of the day, the labor market in tech isn't quite the labor market I think other industries have. You know, Amazon uh, has tried so many times during the pandemic. I think this is a, a t- attempt, and this one will, will be successful, but I think it's attempt number four. So to me, this is really a lot about leverage, and it changed. The employees had so much leverage before uh, because they were, first of all, Amazon was overhiring at the time, but they could, they really had to peak compete with places like Microsoft, which were being a lot more uh, employee friendly at the time. And so uh, to me, the balance of power has shifted, despite the fact that we have a jobs report today that says that there are still plenty of new jobs being created. So uh, but but Amazon sensed it at the right minute. We're in control. Management, the the employer has has the power here. Yeah, it's as much leverage as they're probably ever going to have. You know, this is maybe the peak of it. So you're saying Amazon responds to the question, why is it so important to have employees in culture and collaboration? So we're, we're the journalists. We're trying to find out. We would like to know, does Amazon have statistics about productivity or about bottom line? How much the – I mean, that they're in business for their shareholders – um, do we know that Amazon is so invested in these huge buildings that in some way that influences them to bring uh, em- to fill those buildings with employees? What do we actually know? Fill the balls. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't think of anything concrete. I mean, maybe if you want to like a correlation this past. Well, there's quor- a lot of concrete in those buildings. Yeah, that's true. Well, um, maybe correlation, you know, this past quarter, they had a pretty profitable quarter. And over the past few quarters before that, they were not profitable. So if you want to be really simplistic, you can sort of say, hey, when we sent employees back, we're more profitable. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, there are other markets where maybe there's like a business occupancy tax um, credit that they have to fulfill. In Seattle, I don't think that's really a thing. So it, it really, we're not getting much more than just these buzzwords. We're not getting statistics on productivity, at least not yet. Okay. Uh, I I think it's important to point out here, and you did just briefly there, that return to office is not environmentally friendly. And so I thought when I saw the the bundling of issues to create the protest, that they would be more specific about that, that you're not doing uh, enough uh, to get to, you know, a more environmental product and company um and 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 by making us come back to work you're 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 making it even more um more emissions they were doing that but i think amazon dropping that shipment zero um from their operations side which is just so massive in terms of emissions gave them a better rallying cry for the for the climate side okay i want to ask about uh enforcement are our employees threatening anything either that we're going to walk we're going to quit we're going to do more demonstrations we're going to have walkouts or strikes or we're just going to quiet quit we're just going to i'm just going to be uh i'm just not going to do as much work come surveil me what are you going to do you know spy on all of us oh and on the other hand is amazon doing anything are they just saying you guys you got to come to work at least three days for real but are they enforcing that 
from our side, it feels like Amazon's the, on the charm offensive. Um, hey, it's really great in the office. Please come back, guys. Oh, it's awesome. Your team's here. Um, anecdotally, I've heard of people quitting because of the policy um, from the lower levels to the L6 and L7 levels. Um, so I, I think the employees, I think it's kind of hard to quiet quit in Amazon because you'll get pipped. <laughs> you'll get sent out of there. Pipped is... Uh, it's their what, performance improvement it, plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You'll yeah. get weeded out pretty quickly. Right. Okay. Um, but Amazon, I haven't seen any harsh enforcement from them yet. But, you know, they've got all summer to get their offices ready in other other um, markets like Nashville and Austin. So maybe once everything comes online, they'll get a bit more strict. But right now, it's it's very – it's the charm offensive. Okay. I guess that's it. Finally, just one more note. I have noticed the my bus and trains uh, being fuller. Oh, um, the traffic is back. Particularly midweek. Yeah. Back bi- yeah. big time all over the place. My Tuesday bus is packed. Mm-hmm. Not so much the Monday and Friday. <laughs> Friday. Fridays. Nobody's going to work on Fridays. <laughs> uh, we're going to work. We're working crazy hard. We're just doing it wherever we want to. Mm. <laughs> um, so, so I'm going to segue, actually, there. This is, you're listening to Week in Review. You're listening to Alex Halverson, David Hyde, Joni Balter, my panel of journalists here, discussing the news of the week. And we're, we were just talking about the climate friendliness uh, or unfriendliness of people coming into work. So let's talk about the mayor of Seattle who wants Amazon workers to keep commuting in. Uh, first, does he have any influence with with Amazon? I've tried to see if there is. I, I haven't heard anything now. Okay. Um, another- I don't think Amazon is upset that he's finally, that they've finally kind of um, done something that the mayor would love. You know, they've had a rough time. They're definitely chummier now. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. Br- okay. Bruce Harrell is chummier with Amazon than than predecessors. Okay, That's a fact. Well, p- apparently, part of according to a Seattle Times report, part of Harrell's plan for boosting downtown is building out the streetcar line. We have two disconnected streetcar lines now, one between Westlake and South Lake Union, and the one between Pioneer Square and through First Hill, Capitol Hill. Downtown is the missing middle. Joni Balter, I always assume that was a crafty move by streetcar boosters to leave a hole in the middle that we wouldn't be able to resist <laughs> filling. Uh, is there any truth to that? Well, look, you know, Bruce Harrell is looking at anything and everything to revitalize downtown. And so, yes, people are dusting off some of the earlier ideas and saying, what about this? And, you know, I... I I don't think you can make a, a really easy argument for the what they're now calling the culture culture connector uh, that it's going to be so you know ch- much cheaper than the earlier iteration of this, or that it's going to be over used. budget and underused. It was, yeah, yeah it, and the and the two existing lines underperform a lot. And even if you're going to say folks are going to be back in the office three days a week, that is not. Um, more than we're going to be here when when the thing already had troubles and people were generally in the office five days a week. I mean, the only way it's environmentally friendly, this idea, is if people really ride it a lot, and and there's no evidence of that. So I think it's I think it's a pretty tough sell, actually. Yeah, I 
I sort of agree. I mean, I love personally riding streetcars. They're fun. When was in San the last Francisco. time you rode the streetcar? I don't know. Here Sometime in Seattle, I rode them. Here but, in know, Seattle, when I when I do, what I like is it. It reminds it, it reminds me of an amusement park. It makes uh, Seattle seem a little bit more like Disneyland, which is so a lot. So you're of fun. calling it a trick trinket, right? Well, and I think you know that's what Bruce Harrell is kind of getting at here. It's like a culture connector. It's this fun thing. These sort of candy colored cars that you can drive around on. Um, but like you're saying, they're expensive. They're slow. Um, we don't know where the money is going to come from, I don't think, to, to pay for this third one. And I was reading up a little bit on some of the academic history of streetcars, which is different than some of the pop histories. And apparently a lot of them went away because they just weren't that popular and they were losing money. And so, you know, it seems like Harold's doubling down now to try to or hoping to double down to try to save these things because we have a pretty big investment in them. So that doesn't seem like the dumbest idea in the world. But whether or not it's going to work, I don't know. Well, there's federal money sitting here for planning. And I don't know if it's promised or or expected, but they're thinking that the federal government is going to pay a lot. I still think, is that the best use of money that you can get for a transportation project when you when your other lines are underperforming? I really think this is the city's or the mayor's case to prove. Well, the why why is Mayor Harold? You said that he it, it would be it's a cultural connector, but I'm sure he would like to spend money on other things if it's not going to bring in tax revenues. Um, so, who is he saying benefits? Just tourists, or is he saying that businesses really are going to rake in money if the streetcar is? built and the line goes all the way through town? I mean, this is part of revitalizing downtown, right? This is this is part of Harold's vision. Amazon workers are coming back. You know, we're going to take care of some of our concerns about public safety. And, and you know, this is just a piece of that, right? But what does revitalizing mean, like in, in, in concrete terms? Making or it more financial? like an amusement park. I already <laughs> said that. <laughs> okay, so well, it's just a, it's, 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 it's not, in other words, this is not a give to local businesses if you don't really, if you think it's just going to be a, a little acute, it's going to be a cuteness factor, a San Francisco, you know, rice-a-roni thing. Skittles colored cars and all that. You know, I've heard two scenarios that I think are, are interesting. One is, you know, this was actually presented to me as something they're really considering. What if folks get off the cruise ships and get a little app or something, and then they get on the, you know, I guess the middle the middle new cultural connector and ride around to all these different arts events? I mean, okay, but I never saw Seattle really plan for itself by catering to cruise ships. That's one thing. Another scenario that was presented to me was it would really be great if people at, at South Lake Union could get to Capitol Hill, First Hill, by riding all the way through the line, the new line that they all connect. Really, is that a, is that maybe the longest possible way to get from South Lake Union to Capitol Hill? Will they be a circle? <laughs> will it connect in a circle or will it be a one-way U-shaped? So you can't go from South Lake Union up, you know, up to Capitol Hill. It sounds like that's the po- possibly the longest route that oh. that I've heard of, but but you know maybe they could connect it if they have enough federal money. I mean, maybe it helps the central business district. You know, as we help the um, you know Amazon employees coming back to the Denny Triangle and SLU helps that economic recovery. The All Star Game Week and you know burgeoning restaurant scene and restaurant scene in Pioneer Square sort of helps Pioneer Square. But there's that sandwich in the middle that um, that central business district, which is you know we work down there. It's kind of languishing. 
And maybe this adds a little life to it, injects um, some life into it. But, you know, it's quite a few years off as well. Do you know any people saying, you know, I really want to go to Chinatown International District so I can ride the streetcar? Has anyone <laughs> well, said but, that to but any the of you? tourists, I mean, I can picture, you've all been to, you've been a tourist, right? Can't you picture the colorful tourist map? With the giant pictures, you know, there's a big the blow up pictures. Here's the Chinese gate, you know, at the ID. And then that's you can get your your dim sum there and a big Starbucks logo at Pike Place Market where the very first store is and a and a big uh, ship for the center for wooden boats. That's a. Right, and then you missed your calling. This is great. I, I was going to say, you have. And actually, I can't do you know if you check right. your inbox, you have job offers well, waiting. And I say this because <laughs> because for a tourist, that simplicity you don't you don't want to have to guess which bus is it the two forty seven or the you know the no, six. And you're not in a hurry, so who cares not, if it's slow? Who cares if it's slow? <laughs> I feel like there's something to that, especially if it goes all the way through. And again, that because that makes it much simpler. You're not thinking about oh, there's this line over this part of town, that line. I mean, for that, I'm just now the question of whether that narrow use is enough. Will it make enough money? Is it about funsies? I, I don't know, but I get it more than I think more than you do, Joni. Well, no, let me do, let me give the mayor credit here for a second for considering all ideas because he's in that actual situation. Downtown is. In the condition it is, it's you know it's it's beleaguered. It's it's coming back a little bit in part because of what we've been talking about so far. You know, workers coming back, but he has to consider all ideas, and I appreciate the fact that he is considering all ideas. But that doesn't make this okay. the hot best idea. I would have used it on Wednesday, going from the Norton Building in Pioneer Square up to Amazon's campus. Mm-hmm. So you got one. And when was the last one. time you were on it? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So speaking, finally, before we take a break, uh, you're listening to Week in Review. And I, since we're talking about money for transit, a Seattle City Council member wants to charge developers a fee for every real estate project, and that money would pay for transportation projects. Alex, why does... Councilmember Alex Peterson think that's a good idea? Well, he's sort of framing it as progressive revenue, right? We're using developer money to fund transportation projects. One thing he's sort of leaving out, and I'm sure David can speak to this, is um, that money will probably go down to renters and buyers, as as a lot of fees do. Meaning, so it's a disincentive to build more housing that we want? I think it is. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, we were talking about this a little bit before the show, but it seems like a few years ago, the idea of these kinds of fees would have been more palatable to transit advocates. And increasingly, there's just concern that there's not enough housing and that anything you you know, create that, that creates that disincentive is going to be a problem um, you know, when it comes to it. And so I wonder if the politics here in the city may have shifted a little bit. So I'll be very curious to see how the city council votes on this. I think for Alex Peterson himself, who's not running for re-election, He's never been a huge fan, I would say, of growth and development compared to some other council members anyway. So if this kind of gums up the works a little bit, I'm not sure that he's super concerned about. But Lisa Herbold on the city council sounded like she's um, you know, support going to be supportive of this. And so you know, I guess we'll see what happens. Well, if you want more of something and we all want more housing, I don't know if you if you help it by putting a fee or a tax on it. That that doesn't actually make that much sense. Now, there were some um, sort of uh, promises on the part of the council member Peterson to uh, maybe use the money that's collected here to ramp down the cost of 
the next transportation levy called Move Seattle, which comes up in, I think, next year. Uh, okay, that I do not buy because I've never seen a levy around here, have you, that dropped down in price. That just doesn't happen. Hmm. And it's not even clear that that Alex would be here to maybe affect that. So, you know, this is going to take some scrutiny, and I don't know how much uh, uh, other council members are supporting it. Well, you, you, you say who doesn't want more housing. I picture the supporters of this as being home, homeowners who don't particularly want more housing, and they're tired of their property taxes going up, so they'd like a different source, and they're mad at the greedy developers who are responsible for all the tearing up the trees and and so I that's that's who I imagine the constituency for this being. Yeah, and I, I'll be curious to see how this plays in the upcoming city council races because I do think it's an easy political sell that way. You know, tax the big bad developers, and I don't have to pay for it exactly. And Except for they they pass it on. Yeah, but whatever. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, sure. But I don't have to. You're asking me to think a, a step ahead. That's that's <laughs> not necessarily how people think. Um, and Alex Peterson himself has polling that suggests that most people would support this. So, yeah, we'll see. Okay, shall we see about taking a break, taking a breath? Because we got more news. We're not done. This week is not over. Okay, KOW's Week in Review. David Hyde, Alex Halverson, Joni Balter. I'm Bill Radke. A little, a little music fun, and then we're going to get right back at the developments of the week gone by. Support comes from Kenmore Air, offering getaways to charming Victoria, B.C. with daily flights. Just a quick 45-minute flight from Seattle to Victoria's Inner Harbor from only $169 per person one way. Bookings available now at KenmoreAir.com. Support comes from Pacific Science Center, celebrating spring at Paxi with butterflies at the Tropical Butterfly House, sea creatures in the saltwater tide pool, and Jane Goodall, reasons for hope at the IMAX Theater, a journey around the globe to share good news stories. Learn more at PaxSci.org. You are understanding what happened this week with KUOW politics reporter David Hyde, political analyst Joni Balter, and Puget Sound Business Journal tech reporter Alex Halverson. Moving on, David Hyde, we're about to talk politics. Could you start us off? It looks like uh, America will not bust the debt ceiling, first of all. It passed the House and Senate with only one Washington Congress member voting no. That would be Pramila Jayapal. Anything to add there? Uh, Joni called it a statement vote. Yeah, it is a statement vote. Um, I, I I would like to tell you that I appreciate the congresswoman for saying in advance that she would vote for this uh, if her vote was needed. Because look, this has catastrophic; it had catastrophic uh, potential for if you didn't do that. But because there were enough votes. In a very manufactured crisis uh, by the Republicans, this thing did not need to come to this and make everybody worried about different checks coming and all these different things. But that happens all the time. That's been happening for years and years. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, But the thought about this was that, you know, did you read the quotes from some of the other members of our delegation? Nobody liked this package on any side and nobody in our delegation liked it but when you're staring at catastrophe you kind of have to you know you have to grown up up yeah i just made that you have to put up with compromise you got it you got to do the compromise thing which you know is 
is, you know, people, actually independent voters, if, if you ask them, like that quite a bit, quite a bit. But what about the, I, you know, I, I, I would have voted for it if I, if I had to, and I didn't, so <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But as long votes. as everybody, wait a minute, as long as everybody understands what's going on. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Also passing both the House and Senate is a repeal of President Biden's college student debt relief plan. That repeal was passed by Republicans, plus in the House, two Democrats. And one of them is our newest Congress member, Congress member Glusenkamp Perez in southwest Washington. David, why did she oppose forgiving student loans? Basically, she tweeted, I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, I'm not going to help you fancy college kids in Seattle with student loan debt relief unless you help our kids here in southwest Washington with tech college support and that kind of thing, Um, technical training jobs. That's been her big issue. Uh, Democrats, some Democrats at least, freaked out about this. Uh, Prominent Seattle Twitter left blogger David Roberts uh, said this is just transparent BS or whatever. He said the full word there. And I think what he means is, is that like the, the Pramila Jaipal vote, no. this was a statement vote. It was a, it was a symbolic vote. She represents uh, a very red part or at least a red part of Washington state. This is a district that voted for Trump in 2020. Uh, 538 gave her a 99 percent chance of losing that district. Um, so trade school was one of her big issues. She ran this kind of left populist centrist thing. And, uh, you know, part of that, too, wasn't just uh, debt relief. She she uh, said something which would be horrifying to a lot of Seattle voters. She opposes a, an assault weapons ban, but that essentially works. And so, uh, you know, I guess the, the question is, does it help or hurt her politically? Or that's one question. Does it help or hurt her politically? I'll answer that. I think it helps her. Um, you know, I interviewed her recently, uh, for Seattle University program. And, you know, this is exactly what she said she was going to do, this kind of a vote. And again, it has that, if, if you want to call it that statement, but this is different. This was a resolution. This did not have impending doom attached to it. it you know, it, and actually this one isn't going to end up counting because either the court is going to decide or the president's planning to veto this. Right. And there's not enough votes to override him. So I can see the comparisons. You know, I'm not going to argue there aren't. But I think it helps she didn't, her. She didn't get on there and tweet, uh, you know, my vote doesn't matter, so so don't worry so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, she didn't because she, you know, this is what she said she was going to do. And, you know, she had several tweets. And, and they were exactly what I heard, you know, as she was preparing to go to Congress and the things she was going to kind of try to work on. She is very much committed to, um, you know, the, the career and technical and vocational kinds of, of uh, training programs. And she thinks that they've gotten the, the short shrift, and they have. So you say it's a statement vote. Is this a political move or, or a real move? In this case, it's kind of both, I guess, because she had said she was going to do this, and and she's doing exactly. What I mean, she, I think it's what she ran on. I, I think David Roberts is right. I don't know what's in her heart, mm-hmm. you know, but she says she supports student debt relief. So it seems like it's a statement vote. We know that 
you know, the way that the parties have shifted in recent years. The Democrats now include a lot more people with college degrees, you know, and that's many of our listeners are also people with college degrees. That's not who she's speaking to here. She's speaking to people in southwest Washington who voted for Donald Trump in 2020, and she's trying to hang on to that seat in 2022. And so she's taking some of these strategic votes. And it could be that the more that folks like David Roberts tweet at her, the better it is for her. It's hard to say. Yeah, that's fair. You know, she's in a district that really has gotten more conservative over the past few years. I think in the 80s and 90s, it flipped between parties. Right. For the it used to go ticket. back and forth quite a, yeah. quite a bit. You're, you're it, quite it right about that. It contains some of the Portland uh, metropolitan area, but it contains, you know, parts of Lewis County, which is, I think, one of the most conservative um, counties in western Washington. So it's gotten really red over the past few weeks. The, um, the last Democrat uh, to fill that seat, and this is going back a little bit, was 2012, and it was Brian Baird. He's such a moderate. Uh, so that's the, his. That's the only way he was able to win that district. I just say here that you know Marie Glusenkamp Perez told everybody that she was going to go to D.C. and not vote with the Democrats on everything, and guess what she did? She went to D.C. and vote and not and declined to vote with the Democrats on this. Yeah, that was my reaction. That this this didn't surprise me. It sounded like a census Democrat fiscal responsibility. It's expensive to for to to, to do this. Uh, but David, you were—I I got the impression from you that this is not necessarily what you expect from a, a centrist Democrat. I mean, she's trying to do something I think a little bit different than centrism. She's trying to take on what she sees as the faux populism of the MAGA Republicans, right? Who say we're going to solve your problems, um, you know, folks who are Obama to Trump Democrats in uh, or former Democrats, sorry, mm-hmm. in especially in, in Southwest Washington, but also Grays Harbor County, uh, Mason County, all these folks that flipped from Obama to Trump. She's saying, you know, I'm really going to help you. So, uh, I, you know, I care about trade school. I'm going to take on the big corporations uh, potentially when it comes to um, uh, pharmaceutical prices and issues like that in ways that Republicans really aren't. So I think she's trying to carve out some some left populist space within the Democratic Party that's different than what MAGA Republicans are doing. It's different than what centrist Republicans are doing. And it's different than what urban Democrats in places like Seattle are doing. I'm glad you used the word carve because I was thinking about slicing just, you know, you know, really, she really has to be careful in that district. Uh, you know, first termer, that's that's usually when you're vulnerable at the end of that. And yeah, it's it, it's Trump plus, I forget how much, but it, it's a Trump district. Trump plus four, he's, he's showing me. Yeah. Okay. So. Also on politics, we have a new Democratic candidate for Washington governor. He's an Issaquah state senator, Mark Mullet, considered a business-friendly Democrat. Since we, uh, David, politics reporter David Hyde, since we have two other Democrats running who have far more statewide name recognition, how important then is Mark Mullet's candidacy? I just, I've been waiting to say this all day. The mullet is back. <laughs> I was going to say that he thankfully doesn't wear a mullet. He doesn't. My my 16-year-old son, though, is, is threatening to get one, so the mullet literally may be back in my house. Are you saying he's business-friendly up front? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh, good. Oh, that's good. And more yeah. of a party-friendly Democrat. Yeah. And we can't tax our way out of every problem in the back. <laughs> um, yeah, That was nicely done, Bill. Very nice. Um, yeah, I mean, so what lane is he trying to run in here? It's it, In the primary, I think it's going to be really tough for him because as you say two big name democrats uh including bob ferguson 
occupying a, a lot of that space. Uh, and then right to the center, Dr. Raul Garcia, a Republican who ran last time, is trying to run again as a centrist Democrat. Didn't work for him in 2020, but we'll see this time. And, and there's also going to be some MAGA Republican candidates getting in. I think his his proposition here seems to be if he gets through the primary, he could be a formidable opponent to whichever other Democrat makes it through, whether that's Bob Ferguson or Lance Commissioner Hillary Franz, because he's going to get all of the Republican votes at that point with his business friendly, uh, you know, policies. And um, some of these independents and centrists might go for him as well. We haven't seen a Republican elected in Washington state since 1980. So maybe this is the year where John Spellbinder, as they used to call him, you know, Republicans get serious. And, you know, can he get Republicans to actually rally around him, you know, heading into the primary? I mean, it seems almost impossible to me that that would that would happen. But, you know, if it did, he might be a formidable opponent or at least a bit of a challenge for Ferguson. Let's say it's Ferguson in the general election or France. Does he maybe take that like Bruce Harrell lane of, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Democrat, but I'm friendly on business. I'm a little more moderate on certain issues. Um, or does he just have his own lane? He voted against the capital gains. That, yeah, that's one he's of the much key more conservative yeah. than Bruce yeah. Harrell. Bruce Harrell's, uh, uh, you know, in yeah. Seattle, he's, he's, he's I used to laugh <laughs> when people would use the word conservative on Bruce Harrell. Follow his policies. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't fit. He's not a Mark But I would say Mullet is a conservative Democrat, Uh, at least least a fiscally conservative Democrat for sure. And uh, read The Stranger if you want to see the full takedown of Mark Mullet because there's a a long article. Well, where where would he get the votes to beat Franz or Ferguson? Well, here's what I was wondering. I knew the word Lane was going to come up here. You know, um, (laughs) Hillary Franz is also trying to be – um, a little bit in that middle lane by talking a lot. And she does have these connections to Eastern Washington. And, you know, Bob Ferguson is not some flaming liberal either. I mean, he, you know, he he's tweedy enough himself as, you know, this this uh, the state's lawyer. I I, I think it's going to be really tough to have the name familiarity and and to beat both of these folks. I think it's tough for him. I do, too. And also the field on the other side is not set yet because there's plenty of talk right now about, speaking of the 3rd District, the former representative from there, the Republican representative, Jamie Herrera Butler, potentially running for governor. Oh, anyway. Yeah, I don't <laughs> That's think. That's okay. I think That's she'd okay. have a hard time, too, because because Republicans don't like her because she voted to impeach Trump. So that she would be She seems tough. to have less of a lane than, yeah, than, than Mark Mullet would. But yeah, I, I, you know, Caleb, Caleb Heimlich, head of the state Republican Party, told me that, uh, you know, he's been talking to some big name business folks who could get in. So who knows? There could be some some big name sort of Republican-y independent types getting in as well. So I guess we'll see. The stranger's uh, hot take had to do with the opposition to Mark Mullet from big Democratic Party power players like the teachers union and the service employees union that they can't stand that guy. If you can get the stranger's knickers in a knot, it's not exactly a bad day, is it? (laughs) Yeah, but there's a long list of things that will, I think, give some Democrats pause about voting for Mark Mullet is all I was saying. Yeah. Although, last thing I'll say. It is interesting that Ferguson came out with an attack ad the day Mullet announced. I mean, I think that does tell you that Ferguson has a little bit of a concern about about Mullet getting through the primary.
Okay, more politics talk to come. That's our politics reporter, David Hyde. We've got Alex Halverson here from, uh, of course, Puget Sound Business Journal and columnist Joni Balter, all uh, waiting to, we're going to take a little break and then we're going to slather on the deet and we're going to <laughs> wrap up talking about what else happened this week. Stick around. This is KUOW's Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke. The Northwest's warming climate is wonderful, as long as you're a mosquito. Scientists at the nonprofit Climate Central say that in recent decades, our mosquito season has grown longer by more than a month. Here is an invertebrate researcher named Ime Code. With changing climate, there's winners and losers, and a lot of pest species are winners. The warmer the weather, the faster they reproduce. Have you all noticed more mosquitoes in recent years around here? I, I've noticed more bugs that I don't recognize uh, around as it gets warmer. And, you know, sort of like not right now exactly, but uh, closer to the beginning of July. Yeah. More bugs, definitely. Last summer we were talking about this. Um, up in North Seattle, there were just tons of these big stink bug beetles. They were just everywhere. They would come into my apartment. They were outside. They were, it was awful. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure what a stink bug looked like. So when you told me that, I called it up. And I, w there's a lot of that in our house, which I know because we have this indoor cat that acts like it wants nothing more than to be outside and fight everybody. And then when a stink bug comes in, he's, uh, he, he just bats it around a little bit. And then, and then I think he's afraid to finish the job. <laughs> he's not Aww. so – he's a lot of bravado. But how, stink bug is—he's uh, intimidated. How much kitty food does he earn if he doesn't, you know, finish that particular job? Right, right. It's like, yeah. come on. Uh, what about anything else about mosquitoes? Have any, I have any, noticed more mosquitoes, you know, and and we're trying not to leave the standing water around the sort of re remediation stuff. I do want to bring up that a friend of mine claims that if you just let them bite you enough. You can get immune to mosquitoes. I don't know how long it takes or if really? he's right. This is not medical advice, but uh, oh, oh, that's well, what he says. Let's yeah. advise everyone. As, as I'm itching my arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So according to some guy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or, 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 yeah. as, okay. or yeah. as Donald Trump would say, many people. Yes. Many yes. people would say, yeah. Yes. So, yes. yeah, don't try this at home. Well, yeah, that researcher said don't spray pesticide. It only kills adult bugs and it also kills beneficial insects. Uh, remove puddles of water, as David said. That's where mosquitoes lay eggs. Or just get an electric fan because mosquitoes apparently are easily blown around. They're terrible flyers. Put out a box fan. You don't need to introduce a chemical into the mix. Okay. So no deep. Um, all right. Shall we get to uh, something to smile about? I always like to, to end the show that way. Or was mosquitoes the thing that you're smiling about, and we already covered it. Well, no, I, I just want to say one more thing about mosquitoes, okay. and then we can smile like crazy okay. if that's what, what you're planning. Um, you know, one of the things that everybody likes about the Northwest, that it's not as buggy as other parts of the country, but right. climate change is saying, and I don't know if you've noticed, but we're like, we're like two-thirds of a normal rain year so far. Yeah, um, it's been very dry. The and, very and, dry. and the forecast for like seven or ten days is dry. There, too. Mm. I, I saw rain maybe t ten days out, and it was thirty percent or okay. something like that. But I just think that's that's something that we have to acknowledge that climate change is is bringing us. We we won't 
or don't have that that same benefit. Since he went there, my brother-in-law is an architect on the East Coast where there are lots and lots of mosquitoes all the time, basically in the summer. And uh, when he comes out here, he just marvels. Yeah. He's just like, wait, there aren't any screens? You Wait, mm. where are the screens? Where you know?" And just can't believe it. And I, I was wondering, what's it going to cost and how easy will it be for us to get screens? You know, I know some people have screens, but, but it, it's got to be, like, it could be a huge expense. And, and he claims a lot of the stuff is just not designed for it even. Like it would be really hard to add it. So uh, It's like our know. AC problem just with screens. Yes, yes. Okay, 3D printers. It's time to <laughs> scale up. We need, screen, we, need, we need AC. Apparently we need screens. Um, okay, what about, is there anything to smile about this week that we can share with our listeners? Well, how about sort of more of a sigh of relief? Would you go for that? Okay. Okay. So we've been talking about this debt ceiling thing, and it just went on and on, and it was really, you know, you could, you know, live on the precipice wondering when this, could this, will this, you know, will one senator muck it up? Will Mm -hmm. too many uh, House members muck it up? I'm just smiling at the fact that I don't have to hear about this too much next week. Remember when we were told around the whole, the the Speaker of the House election and how it took you know, four or five votes or something. Oh, the breathless coverage about how all it's going to take Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and Boebert and all these people, they all want to be on Fox News and they're going to just tear him down. How humiliating for, uh, what's his name, Kevin McCarthy. It's so humiliating and it's chaos. We're descend- <laughs> The country's descending into madness. What was any of that about? <laughs> what was any of that about? They just had votes yeah. and he got enough votes. He didn't, and then he did, and, and then they, and, we're and then the death ceiling thing, and then we're not got yeah. passed, and then it was just—it's just another, yeah. Congress, don't trust the media. Right? Don't trust <laughs> the media. Never, ever, ever. <laughs> Certainly not the media. us. <laughs> I, anything else? Uh, it's a little more superficial, but the Dallas Stars kicked the Kraken out of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and on Monday they got boat raced by Vegas. So I don't even smile. know what that means. What does it mean to get it's sort boat of like raced? Yes, it's like housed. Yeah, blown away, blown out, whatever you want to say. They lost pretty badly. Why boat raced? Does that mean that you're in the wake? Like they, and you're. You know, I don't know. I'm going to oh. borrow that, however. It's one okay. of your word of the days. Yeah. Boat word of the days. Yeah, That's boat good. raced. How about you, David? Did anything uh, crack, make you crack a smile? Well, I, I mine is I'm going morel mushroom picking this weekend, even though it's been dry, dry and a bit of a bad year. I'm going back to a spot that I had a lot of success uh, last year, and so so it's you're super introducing fun. water to that spot. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and I and um, that's what I need to do is go out there and water it, maybe. Um, but I just I what's so great about Morel mushroom picking, it's a little bit weird because you're often in these burned areas. So it's almost like you're they grow hiking. well where it's been a fire, right? Or they're easier to see. It's one of the oh. I'm not sure. Uh, oh. But in any case, you're walking through these kind of apocalyptic landscapes sort of on charcoal um, ish earth. So it's a little strange that way, but it's just sort of beautiful eastern Washington, southern facing slopes. And so I'm just really looking forward to it. So you find out where the tragic, catastrophic wildfires were? I light them. No, just joking. Um, no, yeah, exactly. I, there, are, there, are, there are maps and you can, you can figure out where, you know, th- there's a slight benefit if you're looking for mushrooms to all these forest fires that we're dealing with. So, look, you know, that's the plus side. So where's your spot? Where are you going? Yeah. Oh, it's uh, it's, it's actually your backyard. That's all. I'll be in your backyard, Bill. Mercer Island or no? I'm just making that up. Oh, okay. My backyard. No, I'm not I'm... telling you. 
you're, you're not. You're going to keep it hidden so that <laughs> you're, you're going to keep all the, the morels for yourself. It's not about that. It's oh. not about finding the morels. It's about this wonderful meandering, Pursuit. sort of aimless hike where you may or may not find them. And mm. yeah, I'm not going to tell you where I find them. Okay. Get it. What's the secret to being to, to seeing them? Uh, what what makes a great morel hunter? Oh, you know, differentiating them in the landscape is actually pretty tricky because because these are burned areas. Burnt pine cones will look like them, and it takes a while before you kind of key in on that. And that's part of what makes it really super fun. Uh, I will say my kid is much better than I am at it. I've got these progressive lenses. I can barely see the ground. <laughs> so I think he was like, you know, three to my one last time, and he's coming again this year. So I'm I'm basically – do I have to come out and, and ask? I mean, I'm trying to get an invitation here, and it's just – I feel like <laughs> oh, it's just going to be you and yeah. your son and – We'll see about that. Yeah. Let's see. We'll, Let's we'll talk see later. What happens. We'll talk later. Uh, Alex, anything? Uh, anything making you smile this week? Oh, I already already did mine, but thanks. Oh yeah, right, right. <laughs> uh, the the uh, the boat racing. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, well, I got one for you, and I, and it actually comes with a question to you, the listener. So please sit up and 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 take notice. Uh, the, see, uh, Axio Seattle reported on trendy baby names. And apparently nationwide for girls, Everly is big, and possibly because there's a YouTuber who I now know about uh, named Everly, who's, um, you know, gets tons of likes because she tells you to give the big thumbs up. And for boys, Alexa, Alexis, Alyssa, those are all down. The get, you the can common, understand yeah, why. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Alexa. Right. No, not you. <laughs> right, right. Uh, that's, that's the guess. But the in Washington State and Washington State alone, because I couldn't see it in any other state, trendiness as defined by a percentage jump in popularity. The name it was a name for boys that in Washington State is eighteen times as popular was last year as it was the year before, and that name. Does anyone know the name of the Greek Titan condemned to holding up the pillars that support the heavens? Now, typically um, pictured with the gl- with the Earth on his shoulders. Do you Atlas. Atlas. Atlas is the. Oh my gosh! I knew. I know a new baby Atlas. What? Really? Oh my gosh! <laughs> you're yeah. kidding. I. You're kidding me because no, no. I've never heard of a baby named Atlas, and I want to ask listeners, but I can ask baby you. Baby Atlas. Hang on a second. Was born in London to. Uh, these are these. It's through friends. This isn't a relative of mine, but. Okay. But I don't know why. I was going to ask, but that sounded like the wrong question. <laughs> why? Why Atlas? Is uh, It's libertarians. That was my first who guess. Who support Ayn Rand. Yep. And actually, I don't know the answer. David Shrugged. It's not Atlas Shrugged. I, right. I really didn't know the answer. That, that was where my mind went, Atlas Shrugged. This, but, you know, libertarians, I don't associate them with Washington State particularly. Oh. Well, actually, this is a very libertarian state. Can yeah. be. Okay. Can be on, on in statewide votes. I thought, well, maybe we want to communicate to our kids that they bear the weight of the world on their shoulders. <laughs> it's up to they, you. <laughs> yeah. No pressure, kids. I'm the strong one. I'm not nervous. I'm as tough as the crust of the earth is. Okay. okay. I move mountains. I move churches. And I glow because I know what my worth is. Of course. I mean, hey, where are you all, going? All parents know this reference, uh, and no one else does, but this is the Disney movie Encanto where this character feels the weight of the world, and it's her job to, to, to fix everything, and she's afraid she's getting weaker. So my question to listeners, 
and to Joni Balter if she can get me some digits. I want to know if you have had or are contemplating naming your child Atlas or know somebody who's done that. Let me know. Okay? My email address, bradkey. Yes, David? No, I'm just going. This is great. Yeah. I want to know, and I want to meet you. Why it's so trendy? Why 18 times more popular? Uh, bradkey at KUOW.org. Okay? Let's hear a little bit more. He is a frustrated. Our panelists today on Week in Review, no pressure. They handle it every time they step up live. And Alex Halverson from Puget Sound Business Journal, tech reporter there. He delivers. Thank you, Alex. Thanks, Bill. A political analyst and contributing columnist, Joni Balter. Thank you, Joni. Thank you so much. KUOW politics reporter, David Hyde. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bill. You all hung the moon to me. You hold the earth on your shoulders. Our, this show is produced, by the way, by our, a, a titan of, of production. Kevin Kniestet produces Week in Review. The social media and live streaming comes to you courtesy of Tio Popescu and Juan Pablo Chiquiza. We have Bernard Ouellette running the board and making it all sound good, and I appreciate you listening. So I'd like to come back for another week if you'll have me. Talk to you in a, a week from now on Week in Review. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> Since I worry something is gonna hurt us Under the surface The ship doesn't swerve as it hurt us